Hi, everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. We are so excited to recap an exciting and very, very Texan weekend in Austin. We hope all of you who were there had an amazing time. It looked like people did. Red Bull has officially won the Constructors title for the first time since 2013, and Max has tied Vettel and Schumacher for the record of most victories in a season with 13. So lots of good stuff to talk about. This race was super exciting. We will dive right into it. As always, find us on Discord, Instagram, Twitter, merch, all the usuals. I'm Tiggy. I'm Sarah. And I'm Chessa. So first, we're going to jump into our main takeaways for the weekend. I know you guys, Sarah and Tiggy, have a lot to say about the race, so I'll keep it a little bit more high level because the race was very exciting, I will say, but you guys will talk about it. For me, the biggest takeaway was like being in America this weekend, watching what's going on, like being in the home country of the GP, the hype was unbelievable. I was watching like CNBC on Saturday morning at like 7 a.m. and there was an entire segment on F1. Wow. And it was just like random places all over, like every news outlet is trying to jump on it. They did like a special series on fans around the world getting to know each other. It was very reminiscent um, of our whole community here, which was really nice. And just like young women getting into the sport, meeting each other, bonding over it. Um, But the hype was just unbelievable. And I love to see everyone getting on board. But at the same time, like we've talked about this before, this like massive Americanization of F1 makes it just feel like sometimes it's for the money. And I hope that the sport doesn't become so hyped that it becomes inaccessible to those that really love it. But that's my initial thoughts. So true. For me, I think we all know how dominant Red Bull has been this year, but now it seems like it might become record-breaking in addition to just being dominant. We still have three races left, so Max only needs to win one more to break Vettel and Schumacher's record of most wins in a single season. I'm very excited to have a different Constructors champion. It's crazy to put this into context. It's the first time Mercedes has not been the Constructors champion since 2013, which is when we were all in high school. (laughs) Wow. So that is just exciting to have a fresh champion. And for me, I also just really love this circuit. I think this weekend was a great example of how this track really deserves its place on the calendar as a strong classic style track. There was really good overtaking, and a lot of them weren't just DRS drive-bys between Max and Lewis and Max and Charles. There were actual passbacks, and we had a little racing for several corners, so I love that. Yeah, totally retweet that. I thought it was a super fun race. The tire strategy was awesome. One announcer called them a fresh set of boots. So when in Texas, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, There was a ton of wind, safety cars, airborne cars, (laughs) potential trouble in paradise for future teammates, Alonso and Stroll. Uh, Selfishly for me, we finally got a race where Hamilton was challenging Max, even if he didn't take the win. So that was really exciting, although also very stressful (laughs) while I was watching it. I don't think I've ever been that stressed during a race. So that says something. Lots of teams mixing up strategies, including Ferrari, of course, going from like plan E to plan B or the other way around. But God knows what other letters. At least it worked out for Leclerc. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And like Sarah said, so much overtaking. I really echo your comment, Sarah, on the track and the Austin vibe in general. It seems like people had such a blast, except maybe Tim Cook while waving the flag. He looked very bored. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone else had a great time. (laughs) 
especially Brad Pitt, which we will get into. So for MVPs, I have to say Red Bull for winning constructors. But since that's obvious, my other MVP is Vettel with a P7 finish. I'm so glad he's getting to finish out the season on a bit of a stronger note, despite Aston Martin making it difficult for him as per usual. He started in P10, so P7 would have been pretty good regardless, but that P7 was despite the fact that he had a 17-second pit stop, 17, (laughs) and he had a really amazing battle at the end to keep K-Mag behind him, so I was very impressed. Yeah, a well-deserved driver of the day for him, too. I'm going to go with Hamilton and Leclerc, shocker, Hamilton, but uh, he called it his best race this season. He really performed. He definitely did get lucky with Carlos retiring and Max's bad pit stop, but he was a great challenger to Max this race and so close to that win that I have been trying to manifest. And then Leclerc, just incredible racing. He, from P12 to podium, that overtake of Checo, great wheel-to-wheel racing with Max. I think it showed his like real skill sometimes when we don't often see that all the time from him outside of quality. So I was super happy to see that. It's also his fifth podium in a row, which is a personal record for him. So well done, LeClaire. Yay, LeClaire. Um, for me, I think I'm going to go with Alonso. He's just such a goat. Like this weekend was so cool to watch him come back from his little wheel-to-wheel airborne action with Stroll. And then he had like a, a messed up car and still managed to finish P7. Of course, he ended up getting a penalty, so dropped down. But I think just end-to-end awesome drive from him given what kind of was really hindering him along the way. So Alonso is the MVP for me. Yeah, how often do you see the bottom of an F1 car? I feel like that's pretty crazy. Like it was just like the butt <laughs> came up and the butt landed. Yep. And he landed kind of hard. Like I'm surprised he kept going. And then everyone should go and watch like the the mirror just like dangling, dangling, dangling <laughs> and then flying off. It was crazy. That's funny. So for LVPs, I feel like there were a lot to choose from from this race. <laughs> there were also a lot of MVPs, but LVPs, we had a lot. Like Stroll for that super late defending move. It, I think that could have had way worse consequences. Yeah. Stroll is lucky that Alonso was able to just bounce back and like continue. And, and Stroll is lucky that he didn't get wrecked by more exactly. again. That was I feel just, like he was going to get T-boned. Yeah, that could have yeah, been so bad. Totally. A couple others, Alfa Romeo, like, what are they doing? Botas, I love him, but when is he going to perform? Just sad. They have not scored, I think, in four races. And also just another disappointing race for Danny. After all the America hype, we really wanted a good race from him. But alas. Yeah, I feel like this race is like either a race that you feel like you did really well in or not at all. Like, I would say I have an I have an LVP, but we could also throw Akon, who didn't even make it past – Q1. So that was really tough for him given how good everything has been looking and especially the Alpine. But my true LVP, which is going to be kind of sad because I love Gunther and I'm rooting for Haas, I think is going to be Haas. I think that they were just kind of petty with their complaints to the FIA first about Checo and then about Alonso and not getting like the the black and orange flag waved for those cars and those random incidents. So I think it was just petty because they've had you know, the been the receiving end of the flag a lot this season, and maybe they were just trying to level the playing field, but I think it was a little bit petty. <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree on that one. I'm like, Gunther, stand up for yourself. If I feel like it has been a slightly loose end plate and K-Mag's got on a black and orange flag, and then we have Checo with no end plate, which <laughs> I guess it's okay if it's totally flown off because it's not dangling, but then we have Alonzo's car in tough shape with a mirror that did in fact fall off and he doesn't get it. So I feel like more the overall 
the overall, I guess, LVP there could also be the FIA for just classic. <laughs> in a surprise to no one. Yeah. Yeah. The FIA. <laughs> For me, I'm going to go with George. I was so excited for Carlos on pole. I thought he was going to have a great chance to pull off a win. And George just absolutely took him out on turn one. He apologized, but just such a bummer. Yeah, that was really tough. So for our hot takes, we kind of all collectively hail Mary to Lewis win, which did look possible for a second, as we said, but did not happen. And then Sarah, I think you and I both said making the points. He was P14, so not not terrible, but not the comeback from him that we wanted to see to convince Haas that he deserves to keep his seat. So I wonder if there's going to be news coming soon. I'm going to give us partial credit, though, because this is the closest by far that Lewis has looked to actually winning a race. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll take that partial credit from you, Sarah. <laughs> I feel like mine was also pretty good. I had I had Lewis winning, and then I had a Red Bull 2-3, which obviously Lewis didn't win, but he came second, so I'll give myself that. And I did say Ferrari would be nowhere to be found, and I think signs DNFing kind of qualifies for that. So (laughs) let's give ourselves all the credit this week. I think that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about some news. As always, the cost cap fight continues to rage on. Christian is definitely pushing back very hard against the cheating accusations. And he had a very spicy press conference moment sitting next to Zach Brown. Might I add, he's the one who wrote the letter to the FIA accusing Red Bull of cheating. And Christian basically said, quote, it's absolutely shocking that another competitor without the facts, without the details can be making that kind of accusation. The damage that does to the brand, to our partners, to our drivers, to our workforce. In an age when mental health is prevalent, we're seeing significant issues within our workforce. We're seeing kids that are being bullied on the playgrounds, employees, children. We are absolutely appalled at the behavior of some of our competitors. So I think Christian was very upset about the word the use of the word cheating in particular from the letter, but Brown did defend himself saying that his letter just set out that if a team spent more than the cap, they're going to get an advantage. Um, They're not taking views on who did or who didn't. And also um, Zach said, quote, I didn't mention any team. It was a general response. Now that we are into the cost cap era, here's what we think the ramifications are Um, in a classic move. Of course, F1 sat them next to each other (laughs) to get the spiciness going and get everyone listening. It was definitely really intense. Yeah, Christian is pushing the FIA to take a look at the relevancy of the costs within the cap and insists that all relevant costs were under the cost cap and that they had zero additional benefits from a development or operational perspective. Racing News 365 seems to have a little bit of a scoop on this. They reported that Red Bull was initially $4 million under the cap until some issues sent them about $1.8 million over. This reportedly included over $1 million in catering costs and hundreds of thousands of dollars in employee sick pay and gardening leave, which is the period after an employee gives notice when they are still being paid. Plus, there were reportedly issues with some old spare parts that can't be used on the new cars. So according to that outlet, they said parts designed for the 2021 spec of cars that could not be carried over to the new breed were previously exempt. But in June of this year, the rule was changed that these parts were included in the budget total. So begs the question of why FIA is changing budget cap rules in the middle of the season. But I also, I still think if every single (laughs) other team got this right, like, I don't know, I... I do agree, Sarah, with what you said last time. Like the line items definitely matter. 
But I also don't think it's fair for Christian to like blame Zach Brown for kids getting bullied in the playground. Like that's not his fault. People need to grow up and like <laughs> not not I do agree. that. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I do think it's clearly the first year it's being enforced. It's smart to build in enough wiggle room knowing that you could have some of these issues with things falling into categories you didn't think they were going to, et cetera, which again, other teams figured out. So I do take your point on that, <laughs> even though I <laughs> you would think that catering is different from a new rear wing. But in other news, <laughs> Logan Sargent seems to be officially going to Williams. He's set to replace Latifi for the 2023 season. This isn't actually official yet because it's pending him getting his last few super license points. So the Williams principal, Joe Scapido, made the announcement Saturday and said, quote, we feel he's ready to race and under the condition that he has enough super license points after Abu Dhabi, he will be our second driver next year. It's looking extremely lucky that likely that he will get enough points. He's currently third in the F2 championship in his rookie season, and he just has to finish seventh or eighth in the F2 championship at least to get his super license. So assuming things kind of stay clean and good for the rest of the season, he should be all set. If he officially gets the seat, we'll do a bit of a deeper dive on him. There has been a lot of rumblings of controversy over his family's financial and political involvement within the Trump orbit. So stay tuned on that one because that would be a shame if our first American F1 driver is not what we were expecting. Yeah, I would be (laughs) very sad if that's like the American we've all been cheering for. Like this is it and this is like the family and political situation. Yeah, we'd never we never want a newcomer to be covered in controversy. It just doesn't make it easy for anyone. No. In other news, we're talking about Danny Ricardo's future for the 10,000th time this season. <laughs> Danny said this weekend that he is in talks to be a reserve driver next year, but nothing is confirmed. He didn't specify the team. Um, he did seem very confident, though, when he said, I'll be around. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and there is speculation that he has been talking to both Red Bull and Mercedes. As for IndyCar, Roman Grosjean, who made the switch himself a couple of years ago, he tweeted that Danny was made for IndyCar. And then when Danny was asked about it, he said, F that, ovals scare me. So he seems very uninterested <laughs> in pursuing any racing opportunities other than F1 and feels pretty confident that he'll be ready to come back in 2024. So I think we're all here for that. Go, Danny. Yes. So an update on the Japan tractor controversy. The FIA released a report that said that the procedural changes would be made. They noted that the tractor should not have been sent out until overall conditions were safe enough and all cars were lined up properly behind the safety car. The mistake happened because in the initial chaos, race control didn't realize that Gasly pitted and would come out way behind the pack. But the FIA also said that Gasly should have been driving more responsibly, of course, sticking to their guns there. But some changes for the future. So going forwards, the FIA is going to quickly tell teams that a recovery vehicle is on track and the teams will be required to immediately tell the drivers. The FIA is also going to create a display view that shows cars pitting under safety cars. The virtual safety car also may be updated to have a more dynamic component to change the delta speed in the sectors where the issue is. Niles Wittick is going to be the race director for the rest of the season instead of the rotating system that was in place for most of the season. So maybe a little bit of uh, consistency could help. We shall see. 
This was supposed to be discussed at Friday's driver briefing, but it got pushed to Mexico so that the drivers would actually have enough time to go through the report. So stay tuned for that this week. As if the drivers needed more things to do. Now they have to read this full report. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Brad Pitt, as many of you probably saw, Brad was all over the circuit this weekend. He's been having a really cool fashion moment too, so everyone look at that. He is producing and starring in a movie about F1, so it was only timely for him to come. Domeni Kali said that F1 is going to allow Pitt to film parts of the movie on race weekends in 2023 and that all teams will get to be involved. Okay, how do we sign up to be extras for that movie? That'll be awesome. <laughs> Lewis is also a producer of the movie, and Domeni Kali said Lewis will be very important because he, quote, loves this new project and he will keep the right authenticity to the movie that will be produced. So as of the time that we are recording right now, several commentators are now in a Twitter spat over Brad Pitt, which has developed into a total mess. Basically, Will Buxton seems to be a little bit annoyed that Brad Pitt wouldn't talk to him. So Will tweeted that there are always lists distributed of which celebrities are open to being interviewed and which aren't. And Pitt wasn't on the list, according to Will. Then Martin Brundle, Jenny Gao, and other big reporters start responding, well, that's not really a thing. So I think uh, Will was just trying to cover himself that (laughs) Brad Pitt did not want to talk to him. (laughs) Well, it wasn't only Will Buxton. Brad Pitt kind of snubbed Martin Brundle, too. Like, it was... It was pretty rude watching it, which was really sad to see because Martin Brundle is obviously like a voice of the sport and people love the grid walks and Brad Pitt kind of just like brushed him off. So that was a bummer. And apparently there was some stuff around Ed Sheeran too not being nice, which like Ugh. that's a big shock to me. What? Like I'm why? so upset. Celebrities, Especially- just be nice. And I feel like Brad Pitt needs to be getting in everyone's good graces if he's going to be filming next year. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. That's what I was thinking. Like, if you want access to all these teams' garages on race weekends, it's probably in your best interest to at least answer some of these big time reporters. <laughs> totally. They were just saying that he was only making time to like meet with team principals or whatever. But I mean, obviously, he doesn't have an unlimited time. But be gracious and nice to everybody that you meet. You know, I, whatever. <laughs> totally. In sad news, Dietrich Mostachitz, who was the founder of the Red Bull Company, died on Saturday. He was 78 and had been struggling with health issues, and the paddock found out right before Quali. He had been incredibly involved in the sport, so a lot of drivers weighed in. Max said, quote, what he has done for my career so far and in general my life, it's really tough. There's still a race ahead, and we're going to try to make him proud. So glad they were able to do that, taking the first Constructors win for Red Bull since 2013. Christian and Max both dedicated it to Massachusetts. Danny Rick also spoke extensively about how much Massachusetts meant to him and how besides his parents, he was really the other person who made his F1 dream possible. And a lot of other drivers who came up through the Red Bull Junior program or drove for Red Bull, which is a ton of the grid. It's Gasly, Albon, Sonoda, Sainz. They all said similar things about how much they admired him, how they wouldn't be where they are without him. And Seb were black in the paddock and was clearly very affected by it. So that was kind of a sad damper on the weekend. Yeah. And he was a legend. He, he was just, yeah, everyone seemed to have so much respect for him. Red Bull sold almost 10 billion cans last year under his leadership. They became one of the biggest and most visible sports sponsors in the world. And not just F1, Red Bull runs several big European soccer teams and sponsors a lot of extreme sports athletes. I follow a lot of those on my personal Instagram, and I was seeing a lot of just tributes to him outside of F1 athletes and and people as well. So 
that was pretty amazing to see and definitely a really sad loss this weekend, but poetic that Red Bull was able to take constructors and Max be able to at least tie that win record this weekend. So it's it was a really good showing for them and for him. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacova's is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacova's. only at Tacovas.com. So let's jump into the actual race. So practice, FP1, signs had fastest lap, and it was a little foreshadowing for quali, might I add. And in a surprising turn of events, we had Stroll in fourth fastest. There were four rookie drivers out for FP1, which was really cool to see. We had Robert Schwartzman for Ferrari, Alex Palou for McLaren, Theo Pushire for Alfa Romeo, and of course, Logan Sargent for Williams. No one was a huge breakout star. They all finished between P16 and P19. And then also standing in was Antonio Giovinazzi for KMAG at Haas, who unfortunately managed to crash the car only seven minutes oh, into no. the FP1 session. So, <laughs> yeah, just more money for Haas to spend on wrecked cars. <laughs> at least it wasn't Ouch. Mick. <laughs> yeah. At least this was a potential person who's going to replace Mick, and now Mick can be like, well, he crashes potentially even worse than me because it was an FP1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little vindication. For FP2, we had Leclerc with the fastest lap in an extended session because this session was lengthened from 60 to 90 minutes to test Pirelli's 2023 tire prototypes. It was really hot out, so it was actually great and ideal conditions for Pirelli to get some data on the tire temps. Um, we had Mick, Danny, and Botas put top five times on the board, which was really exciting. And then FP3 was a little bit crazy, um, which we saw in quality too. The wind really started to kick up here, but Max in the end clocked fastest lap, um, but not without actually complaining about the wind, which is something he did all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> For quali, an exciting quali overall with lots of lap times being deleted for exceeding track limits. It's pretty insane that on top of everything the drivers are doing to get fastest lap, they're also playing referee and radioing when they see someone else potentially exceed track limits. So shout out to the drivers out there doing that. Out in Q1, we had KMAG, Danny, Ocon, Mick, and Latifi. And like we said, it's a bummer for Ocon because he was looking good and that was a bit of a surprise. Also tough for Danny since he had shown some good pace at practice. The team principal Seidel says definitely a big disappointment. It was difficult for Daniel to get the lap together because he was struggling with the rear, which is a shame. Oof. Out in Q2, initially it was Lando, Albon, Vettel, Gasly, and Yuki, but fortunately for Lando, Joe's lap time was deleted for exceeding track limits, so he made it into Q3. Great to see Botas into Q3, although it didn't play out for the rest of the weekend. And then finally Q3, which was super exciting. Carlos was able to snatch pole from Charles right towards the end, so we had Carlos, Charles, Max, Checo, and Lewis in the top five. 
Red Bull looked a little off. Max did two warm-up laps, which was a bit strange. And then Stroll got P7, which was at Aston Martin's best quality of the season. So getting into the race, first a quick note on the starting grid before we jump into the race, since there were a lot of drivers starting with grid penalties. We had Checo, Leclerc, Alonso, and Joe, and Ocon all taking penalties. So the top eight starting grid was Sainz, Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell, Stroll, Lando, Bottas, and Albon. Just throwing that in, that Stroll was like top eight on the grid. Good for him. Um, so because of the penalties, we had Checo in P9 and then Leclerc in P12. After all of the confusion at the Italian Grand Prix, if we can remember back to that, there was like so many different grid penalties and everyone was very confused. The FIA has made a decision that before the race that happened this weekend, they fine-tuned the rules and regulations to kind of make it a little bit easier to follow. So the TLDR is as follows. Drivers receiving 15 or less cumulative grid penalties will be allocated a temporary grid position equal to their qualifying classification. So if you qualify 10th and then you have a 15 grid position penalty, you have um, a temporary position of 25. If two drivers end up having the same temporary position, whoever was fastest at quality will jump ahead. And then once all of the unpenalized drivers secure their quality positions, those with all the penalties kind of get shuffled up and slotted in. Those with a penalty of more than 15 places or if they have a punishment that pushes them to the back of the grid, they'll start behind any other classified drivers. So Still sounds a little bit confusing, but at least there's more rules for people to follow and it'll be easier for us to at least try to figure out like what the grid is. Yeah, um, I was going to say race. this like confuses me even more, but whatever. I guess we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, so talking about the race itself, now that we dove into all the confusion around the starting grid, like I said earlier, this felt like the race to be at. The energy was electric. Of course, it was star-studded. We already talked about Brad Pitt and Ed Sheeran, but Pharrell was there, Shaq was there, Chloe Grace Moretz, and then obviously we said Tim Cook. So it was really awesome. We highly recommend anyone watch this video of Cook waving the flag. He seemed very, very bored, which is hard because (laughs) it was a record-breaking event. There was over 440,000 people there for race weekend, so 40,000 more than last year, which is just insane, like the growth year over year. Getting into the start of the race, it was very windy as it had been on Saturday, so that's a big challenge for the drivers. Most drivers started on mediums, but a few towards the back of the pack were on hards. We had an eventful first lap, mostly thanks to Mr. George Russell. So Verstappen got off the line better. He had the inside line, head of signs, charging up that big left-handed hill going into turn one, which is so exciting to watch. Carlos went through at turn one right behind Max, and the two Mercs were wheel-to-wheel behind Carlos. But then right on the exit of turn one, George tried to just sneak on the inside and hit Carlos's rear and totally spun Carlos out. George later got a five-second penalty for causing a collision that he served in his first pit stop. And sadly, Sainz dropped to last. He was able to continue for a little bit, but he eventually just had to retire, which was so sad. I think there were just so many people watching who 30, not even 30 seconds in, maybe 20 seconds into this race were like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then in the first few laps, Latifi also had a big spin and dropped to last, but that was less um, surprising. Pit stops started early. It was around 14, lap 14 for the top cars. And then on lap 18, Botas lost the rear. He had a big spin, which was sad because he was driving solo when it happened. So it was 
a little bit of driver error, but that caused a full safety car since his car was beached in the gravel, which was so sad for him after a Q3 appearance. The safety car restart was exciting. Max was P1, Lewis P2, some close wheel-to-wheel battles in the midfield. Then the big Lance Alonso crash happened, which we will talk in a little more detail about later. But as a reminder, they are future teammates next year. That caused another full safety car. Okay, let's talk about the teams. Red Bull, what what is left to say? <laughs> it was a little bit of a hectic race for Max, but of course, in true Max fashion, he was able to pull it off. He was complaining about drivability problems throughout the whole race with his steering. And then he had a crisp 11-second pit stop, yet he managed to come back, had a great back and forth with that battle with Charles after that, and of course, came back for the win. Checo, on the other hand... Um, He started with a grid penalty, so he was definitely towards the back. He lost his front wing end plate four laps in after his early collision with Bottas. Of course, Haas protested, but there was no punishment for him on this front. It was really awesome that Checo was able to finish P4 since having that messed up front wing definitely messes up with the arrow of the front car and then also messes up the tires. So I think to go from P9 to P4 is pretty awesome for Checo. I do think that's one thing that really sets Red Bull apart is they can have these issues big or small. The not having an end plate after early collision is pretty hard. I'm sure you had to really adapt his driving style and is still able to get really solid points on the board. And Max is the same. He's able to win with an 11-second pit stop. Not having – they just really just capitalize when the race isn't going exactly the way they want it to go when I think a lot of other teams get more flustered. So – Guess that is why they are constructors. (laughs) For Mercedes. So like we said, Lewis was running P2 for quite a lot of the race, and it was looking like our Hail Mary hot take might actually happen. Towards the middle of the race, Max was complaining about drivability. Then Max pitted on lap 36, and it was a total mess of a pit stop that took 11 seconds. So when he pulled back out, he was behind both Charles and Lewis. And then on lap 40, Lewis passed Vettel for the lead and things looked promising. But by lap 50, Max had caught right up and passed him, but it wasn't a super straightforward pass. There was some great wheel-to-wheel racing for a few corners and no accusations of dirty racing. So if anything, the announcers thought Lewis had cut over on Max too much at one point, but Lewis came in with a big subtweet Instagram caption of how he enjoyed the battle with Vettel. Um, when she left out Max, even though that was a little bit more of an actual battle, but who knows? Mercedes debuted a new front wing that might be on the fringes of what's allowed. The slot gap separators are a bit different. These are the little connectors between the different planes of the front wing. So they might modify it for Mexico so that they don't have to deal with the challenge, but we will keep you guys updated on what that looks like. For Ferrari. So, so sad about Carlos, but a great race from Charles to recover and end up on the podium. Just really awesome from him. Charles had a sick overtake of Checo on lap 30, which is always really fun to watch people overtake Checo because it's so hard. So it really shows their skill. Uh, Charles broke so late to get on the inside of the turn, really pulled it off. It was awesome to watch. For McLaren, we had a stealthy P6 from Lando. Great heads down weekend from him. I always love when a driver can kind of like pop into the top 10. No one's really heard from him all weekend. I think that's the mark of a true of a true driver. There's a lot of good um, possibilities for him. 
On the other hand, Danny Rick, P16, just not much to say here. Another disappointing weekend for him. Jumping into Alpine, Alonso, like I talked about earlier, he's an absolute legend, had an awesome weekend after his high-speed airborne crash on lap 22 with Stroll. He raced his way back from P16 to finish in P7. He had originally started P12 due to a grid penalty, and then after the safety car restart, he was trying to pass Stroll, and that's when Stroll kind of like cut him over. Stroll DNF'd and later said he had moved over late but had given Alonso plenty of room. It was definitely Stroll's fault. Um, he definitely he got a penalty, so we all we all know what happened there. Somehow Alonso was able to keep driving, which is insane since it was pretty gnarly. You guys should all go back and watch it. He had that dangling mirror that we were talking about. It was like shaking, shaking, and then it fell off. Haas was on a protesting kick after what happened with Checo. They protested it by saying it was dangerous. It could have hit another driver. The FIA responded by giving Alonso a 30-second penalty and then dropping him to 15th. I think, again, we talked about this. Gunther might be a little bit salty about how they've treated K-Mag when it comes to the black and orange flag. But, of course, Alpine is fiending for points given their tight race with McLaren and the constructors, so they were not going to take that line down. They issued a statement that the FIA clearly thought it was fine during the race since they didn't get the black and orange flag, plus Haas submitted their complaint 24 minutes past the specified deadline, so it should not have been accepted (laughs) and the penalty should be invalid. So we'll have to see what happens. I think it's still ongoing. Meanwhile, Akon finished P10, which is a great recovery from a pit lane start for him. He had a very bad quality. Like we said, he was out in Q1. So it made sense for him to take a new engine and take the penalty. He had a pit lane instead of a back of the grid start because the new engine decision was made later on Saturday without FIA approval. For Aston Martin, as we said, after his incident with Alonso, Stroll was handed a three-place grid drop for the Mexico GP and two penalty points on his license. Very unfortunate all around since he threw away Aston Martin's best quality result of the season and, of course, is going to be teammates with Alonso next year. Wonder what the vibes are like right now. But thank goodness we had Vettel to make a great recovery drive. He was way up at the front of the grid by lap 40 after starting in P10. But, of course, Aston Martin hit him with a 17-second pit stop. The front left was the issue, which was the same for Max, which is kind of interesting. But all that considered, P7 is an amazing result. 17 seconds is almost like he had to do a full extra pit stop. (laughs) Totally. Rounding out the last few teams. So Alfa Romeo, as we mentioned, disappointing weekend from them. Joe did have a good recovery drive to P11 after taking a penalty, but big bummer about Botas since he had made Q3. Williams, P12 for Albon, which is not too terrible, but Latifi was in last of the people who finished after a big spin. So not a lot to write home about there. Haas. So like we said, this race meant a lot to Mick because interestingly, his family has a ranch in Texas. So his cowboy hat energy is much more authentic than most of the grid. But sadly, he did not make it into the points, although K-Mag did with a P8. So a little bit something. Maybe the ship is like a mini yacht. A, a large sailboat. A small vessel. <laughs> a small vessel. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Alpha Tauri. Gasly had brake issues during practice and just generally didn't seem that happy with the team. So it's, I guess, a good thing that he is piecing out soon. Yuki had a pretty good drive at the beginning of the race. So to wrap up, who wants to give us our radio of the week? 
I'll, I'll do the radio of the week. My jaw literally dropped when I heard it. This was after Max's crisp 11-second pit stop. He pulls out and he's like back up to speed and he just goes brilliant, beeping brilliant. Like such level of sass. Kind of unfair and rude to his team. Like this kind of happens sometimes, but it was very inopportune because it did temporarily give Hamilton the lead. So I will – I'll, I'll commiserate with Max on that one. It was it's, so sarcastic, though. I will say the <laughs> tone was just ooh. Yeah, a runner-up was definitely Bono telling Lewis it's hammer time. One of our lovely followers pointed that out to us, but that we haven't heard Bono say that to Lewis in a while. But usually, Bono says that when he tells Lewis to go all out. So he was like, "Lewis, it's hammer time, baby," <laughs> and Lewis just flew as he does. So for standings, drivers, we have, of course, Max Verstappen, 391, our our winner. Charles has overtaken Checo with 267. Checo is very close behind him at 265, so only two points separating them. Then George with 218, Carlos with 202, Lewis with 198. So still pretty close there. We are definitely going to be fighting for some points towards these last few races. And then with constructors, we have Red Bull taking constructors championship this year. Congratulations to them with 656 points. Then Ferrari 469, Mercedes 416, Alpine and McLaren are at 144 and 138. So they continue to trade back and forth. But yeah, still lots of points to fight for. So we'll see. I wonder if Ferrari will be able to hang on to it. <laughs> So on that note, we are going to wrap it up. We will catch you later this week for a Mexico preview. And Chessa and I will be going. We are so excited. And if you guys are going to the race or if you're just in Mexico City, come join us for our meet and greet on Friday night. We will post it again on Instagram. But we cannot wait to meet some of you. We'll catch you soon.